Welcome to the Dating After Divorce podcast. I'm your host, Shade Curry, and I believe every divorced woman deserves a romantic relationship where she feels safe, loved, and cherished. You can create the most amazing life after divorce, and I will teach you how. everyone. Welcome back to the Dating After Divorce podcast. I have my colleague and friend, Erica Bennett, here on Zoom to record this episode. Erica is a global training guru, empowerment coach, and a woman obsessed with helping you rewire the fear that is holding you back. Amen. (laughs) Amen to that. Uh, So Erica specializes in helping divorced women navigate the healing journey, and she has over 20 years of training and coaching experience and brings her blend of woo and do to help you line up with your desires and take action for your success. Welcome, Erica, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, yeah, it's so good to have you. Um, I, I, You had me on your podcast, and we had so much fun recording that episode. Yes, so, it was so much fun. <laughs> returning the favor, and I'm super excited to hear your story. But before we dive in... Just kind of tell the audience a little bit about yourself, like who you are, what you do, who your clients are. Yeah. So I host the Crazy Ex-Wives Club podcast. Uh, So it's all about helping women not be crazy. It's about navigating that healing journey. Um, So that is definitely, it's the thing that just fills my cup. I absolutely love that. I launched it uh, just this summer in June. So my background is I originally started in sales. I'm super competitive. I like to win. Sales are easy. There's a number, right? From sales, I moved into corporate training. My job was to help people win. And that was specific to selling more product, driving more profitability, delivering better service, right? And I did that and I really loved it for a lot of years. And at the same time, I was always exploring self-help, self-development, and I was kind of getting into the woo side of the world, right? We we all got the do, the five seconds, the action, the smart goals, the la di da da that we all want to do in the corporate world to action things. But I was testing the waters on the other side. And when my separation hit, I fell deeply back into that practice of really understanding how to find happiness with myself. So I left corporate training because I felt that there was so much more than just the behaviors in 2021 and launched my own business to help people navigate that. How do you line up the mind to free yourself up to the action that leads you forward? So now I offer the podcast. I offer a group uh, transformation. It's a 12-week transformation for divorced women where we meet every week and I guide you through that process from being like, do I leave? Who am I now? How do I thrive in this new normal? So that at the end of it, you have the tools to be able to take yourself through the rest of your own healing journey. So absolutely love it. And that's why I'm excited to be here to to talk about this big life-changing event that sent me down a new path. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, as, as you were describing your corporate experience, I, I was like, she sounds like my typical listener, typical client, the high achieving high achieving, driven, successful, fix it, do it, solve it, build it woman. Am I right? Oh, hundred percent. So super high achieving, whatever I set my mind to, I got, and I had, um, Mm -hmm. I would definitely consider myself high functioning anxiety, 
Whereas that, that fear of failure motivated me to do more, to take on more, you know, it was like top of the class in high school, school of my choosing job that I wanted. Like if I was going to move, I did it. And in yeah. that way I could always like control everything. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason I pointed that out is because there is this pattern that I've worked with so many women now. <laughs> I've just seen this pattern and I, I'm, I'm curious to see if it's true for you that that had a huge impact on how you showed up in your marriage, where <laughs> you potentially took on all the things. <laughs> potentially. Yes. Um, I think it showed up in a few ways. One, I showed up still with that corporate hat on of driving the project that I decided we were going to do. And I treated him a bit like an assistant. I have the plan. I have the right answers. Just fall in line and help me do what I need to do. Mm. And then on the other side of that, when he started not showing up, I took on more because I was like, well, these are the things that have to be done for the we in this relationship. And so I put aside me to be able to take on what needed to happen. You know, if I do more, he'll eventually step back into it. He's just depressed. He's just tired. He's whatever. I made a lot of excuses and put aside a lot of my own needs. Oh my God. So well said. So that's just like that, that experience right there is just so common. And I know that resonates a lot with, with the listeners. So, all right. I think with that, that, that was just a little aside because I was like, oh my God, she's saying all the things. Um, I wanted to just have you tell your story. Like, you know, why did you marry your first husband? Like, what was that choice? Like, well, who was the Erica that made that choice, (laughs) you know, and then what happened in that marriage? Yeah. So we met, um, I grew up in Wisconsin, but then I moved to California for college. I had always wanted to live out there. I used to go visit relatives out there. So I was like, that was going to be the new me. Right. And so I did at 18, I packed up the car and off I went, um, to figure out who I was. I wanted to leave a small town and have nobody know who I was so I could figure out who I wanted to be. So during that time, or were we 24 so long ago, right? We met, he actually had, was a friend of the neighbor. Um, and so I just was like, Oh, who's this, you know, like super cute tan, you know, white boy. We all laugh because he's actually, um, Hawaiian and German and, and <laughs> Japanese. So he's very much not, not a white boy, but, um, all my friends would laugh. They're like, Erica, you had no idea. I was like, no, I just, I don't know. Like, I just thought he was really tan from, you know, California. <laughs> Um, but he had all of the things that I had created in a dream in my head, right? His family was born and raised from that area. He surfed, he volunteered at the YMCA and worked with kids. Um, and so he fit a lot of those stereotypical things. And then there was the tension that was there, you know, the, the flirting, he was actually still with his high school sweetheart at the time, you know, we lived next to each other and kind of knew each other as friends for a while first. And then it just went very quickly. Like I had never had a boyfriend long-term before that. And by like three months, he had moved in to my studio. We were living together. We were talking about getting married. We were already making the plans, but now looking back at it, not really having the conversations. So kind of like your point of like, hey, I still ran the, the corporate role in the house. It, I remember we were driving to my birthday, a birthday dinner one night, and I brought up like, how many kids do you want to have? And he said, yeah, well, I want to have kids. And in my mind, I was like, check the box. Great. 
I, I decide how many kids and when we have kids, but he said, yes. So that's it. It's not really a good conversation, but at the time I was just making the marks, ticking the list. Um, so we ended up living together for a few years before we got engaged on a Christmas Eve. Um, and now looking back at it, you know, we're just young kids. My grandma had died a few days before, uh, he refused to go to Christmas mass with me, which I'm not very religious, but there's something about Christmas mass, like on Christmas Eve, that is part of my holiday tradition, the music and the incense and like all of the things, um, he refused to go. So I had to go by myself. I drove home crying. You know, my grandma had just died and he's not showing up. And I walk in and he has set up this whole engagement like proposal. You know, the candles are on and the dog's wearing the ring on the collar and like all the things. Yeah. And um, I think looking back now, you know, now I would see that as a red flag that the daily behaviors weren't there for the support I needed, but the flashy stuff was, but again, we were young, you know, like we were each just trying to create a story that we wanted. So we, um, got engaged, we're engaged for about a year, got married in the Bahamas, a destination wedding, and then kind of traveled around to the family to do parties. And, uh, and then what happened was we moved from my job. So one of the things I think that really affected us was, you know, we got married in February. We relocated to a new state in April and knew no one. And so there were no friends. There was no family. We were trying to figure out how to find a place and buy a house. And I was starting a new job and the job wasn't turning out to be what I thought. So I'm coming home crying every day and we don't have any social outlets. Whereas when we were in the Bay Area, the friends were there, the family was there. We saw people every single week mm-hmm. and it was hard. Yeah. Um, you know, we continued to move forward. We were, we were married about seven years, uh, before it all came crashing down. Um, so do you want me to jump into the, the ending story yet? Or do you have more questions on our, our courtship? (laughs) No, 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 that, what, what, everything you said was perfect. I did want to point one thing out, but I didn't want to interrupt you was just, you were talking about not having the conversations, and just checking the box and just really having compassion because it's like, well, nobody knew how to have those conversations and nobody, like, I, I know my parents didn't know how to have those conversations. So, I mean, I couldn't expect them to teach me how to have those conversations. And then our culture, I don't think really tells people, Hey, here are the conversations you need to have. And here's the detail in this detail, yeah. this level of um, detail. So, you know, just having compassion over like us and mm-hmm. everyone else who just didn't know. Yeah. And I, I think that that I, I thought a lot about it because I was like, why didn't, why didn't I know? Well, I never saw my parents have conversations because they were doing what they felt was best. And those conversations happened after we all went to bed because yeah. they wanted to make sure that, and I'd honestly, I should probably ask my mom, I don't know if there was ever conflict because I never saw it. And mm-hmm. so I think in their mind, they thought that they were creating, you know, very safe. I had a white picket fence. I had a dog. We had two cats. I have two other siblings. Like I have the American dream. Yeah. Um, and I never had to worry about any of that stuff. I knew we weren't the richest family, but I knew we weren't the poorest family. We're just the steady middle class, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never saw them have to actually have a conversation. So I just assumed that when you found your person and the person wanted to get married, that meant you wanted the same thing. You want to buy a house in the suburbs. You want to have a couple dogs. You want to have a few kids. You want your weekends to be spent at family functions because that's what I saw. I thought that that's what it meant in that if he's saying, yes, he wants to get married, that he must want the same things. And now I know how to have the conversations. 
Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So um, I have a colleague, a coach colleague, and I've actually worked with her. My husband and I have, have worked with her on on our marriage, and she talks about over communicating. And she's like, mm. that's the key to relationships. You have to over, you have to make it safe enough, not just to communicate, but over communicate. Get yeah. down in the weeds. <laughs> Yeah. About the thing that you both are, you know, talking about. I, I tell my clients about um, frames of reference. Like he says, kids, that's one frame of reference. In your mind, the word kids means, okay, three kids in two years at this time in this way. You're using yes. the same words, but two different frames of reference. Yes, exactly. Yes. Mine meant three kids, two years apart, you know, what did I want? A boy and two girls. Cause girls need a sister, but you need to have an older brother for protection. Like I, it was buttoned up. I had a plan. <laughs> <laughs> so how many kids did you end up having? Yeah, I ended up only having one. So we, um, had our, so actually before we had our son, we had one miscarriage very early. Like it just, you know, so, so there were two pregnancies, one kid, um, I wanted to try for the next one. We actually were trying for the next kid when everything fell apart that, that, and that's part of why it was such a shock. And, and in those first years, you know, cause when we first separated, my son was four. So from birth of my one son until four, there was another time where I was done. Like I was like, I am done. But what am I going to do? I have a toddler. And I was like, are you really done? Do you really want to call it quits right now? You know, you got a kid. This is hard. Work is hard. And I did the work to come back to the marriage. I did the work to fall back in love, to choose to appreciate, to value what he was giving until it finally did turn out that we just wanted different things. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. I love the, that in-between work yeah. of walking back to the marriage, falling in love again, because the people who do that work just have it, I guess, have a the process when you finally do leave is just so much yeah. more, I don't know what the word is for that, but like, I don't know if it's calm or certain. You just have, you're more grounded. Do you wonder exactly how divorced women just like you are meeting eligible men who want a real relationship and a commitment? They're doing it by dating with their core values. Your core values are the GPS that lead you to the partner you've been looking for. When you use your core values on dating apps, text messages, and at social events, you will easily connect with your true match partner without chasing, settling, or wasting time with non-committal men. I have taught exactly how to do this in the two-hour Core Values Dating Blueprint course available on my website, shadecurry.com forward slash dating. That's S-A-D-E-C-U-R-R-Y dot com forward slash dating. You will learn exactly how to identify your core values and use them on your dating profile, how to ask the right questions via text, and how to tell the right stories on dates so that you attract the right people and repel those who aren't right for you. If you're ready to meet your true match, hop over to shadecurry.com forward slash dating or click the link in the show notes. Now back to the episode. Yeah, exactly. And I think it was also a really good experience to be able to know what are the things that you can change? Like we all fall out of love. 
in our in any relationship. There's going to be rough patches. And so being able to understand what it looks like to do the work to come back to a relationship or to do the work to understand that it's time to let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So um, let's talk about the end. We, we, we need to get before this episode is over. Before the three-hour podcast that we create here. All right. So what was happening? Like I said, we were trying for another kid. We had just, you know, connected. Um, he was getting ready to go out that night. So he was out a lot. So it was another like flag that had shown up. And I really don't like using the word red flag. I like yellow flag. Like, hey, this is a cautionary flag. Is this something I can deal with or not? He had been going out a lot um, and I wasn't going with, I didn't have a desire to, we had a child at home. Like I wanted him to stay home. He didn't want to. So mm-hmm. he's all dressed up to go out. I'm crying on his shoulder. I'm like, I really thought that I lost you. Like, I really thought that I had lost you. Um, I feel like it's turning a corner and that we're coming back and like, I love you. And like, I just, I don't know. I just needed to say this. And he's like, okay. And I'm like, is something wrong? Because he just stood there you know, no, nothing's wrong. And I'm like, something is wrong and you're not telling me. And that's been been a constant theme for years. I'd been like, what is wrong? And he wouldn't tell me and I'd bring home a new self-help book and I'd bring home a new conversation we need to have. I was trying to fix the problem. Um, And so he's like, we'll talk about it when I get home. And he left. And I knew like something was wrong. And I called one of my girlfriends and we sat on the phone for, I don't know, four or five hours. She had two little kids herself, but she just stayed on the phone because I think she knew something was wrong. Um, and when he came home that night, he tried again to just be like, I'm just going to bed. Good night. And I'm like, no, no, like I'm not, you need to tell me something's wrong and I don't know what it is. And he looked at me and he said, I love you, but I'm not in love with you anymore. We just want different things. And that was it. I was like, what, what do you mean? We can fall back in love. And he's like, That's, I, I'm just done. And he went to his side of the bed, fell asleep. And it was the first like peaceful sleep he'd had in years. You know, over the years, he had moved into having to wear a sleep apnea machine because he wasn't breathing at night. His sleep had been fitful. His snoring got worse, right? Silent the whole night after he finally spoke his truth that he had been avoiding for all those years. And so that was a rough night. I didn't sleep. I still tried to go into work the next day. One of my coworkers, beautiful coworker, I had her on the show. She escorted me right back out the door and she's like, you're going home, you know, like, and stood with me as long as I needed to. And it started the unraveling. At that point, I didn't know that there was another woman. I didn't know that this was not the first other woman, that um, this was him trying to, trying to fill a hole in his own life. Um, we actually had a point, an appointment already set up for therapy because I knew something was wrong and we went and he just kind of was like, I don't want to work on it. I'm just going to close the door and, and move on. It started a two-year process of our separation before I finally filed. Um, for the first year, I fought so hard for it to work. Um, I really tried to convince him to negotiate, to prove that I could be the right fit for him, that we had been in love once and we could do it again. And we had a we had a small child and all these things. Like I didn't want to fail at it. Um, and I really felt like it was so good in the beginning that it could be good again if we just fixed the issues. Even with learning about the other woman, even with her still showing up, she used to call during dinner, like, it, it was all the things. Um, and I was still willing to acknowledge that and forgive that because we both made mistakes. 
you know, somebody, somebody doesn't set out to cheat. They just set out to finally feel better because they feel so unhappy. Um, and then go ahead to you for your marriage to fail. Cause I mean, you did a, like you already did the work to work back to the marriage when you fell out of love, you already knew something was wrong for a long time, but he wasn't telling you. And then he finally tells you, and you still work for a year, even with everything you find out two years. So, yeah, I mean, obviously failing was like, it was a non-negotiable in my life. Yeah. And that, yeah. Cause it, it took two years before I was like, I'm leaving now. Like now I'm done. Um, and the irony was, is that it was Christmas. He showed up and was like, I want this to work. I finally want this to work. I realized I want this to work. Mm-hmm. And it took me two more months. And I was like, this is the thing I've waited for, for two years, for you to say, you're willing to work on this with me. And it feels empty. And I'm not getting the feelings that I thought I was going to feel. And in fact, I feel really sad about it. Um, and that's when I knew that it was time to let it go. But But in those two years, you know, for me, I had always wanted, you know, my grandparents were married and had 50 year wedding anniversaries and both lived into their nineties. And that was a dream I had. I didn't want to start over at 35. And that is where, you know, like when you, when you read my intro, I'm obsessed with rewiring fear because my entire life had been taken over. I didn't know how I was going to get my life back on track if I didn't stay committed to this. I didn't know how I was ever going to have another kid if I didn't stay committed to this. I didn't know how I was ever going to be happy again. Because what was the point in living life anymore if this is no longer it? Um, And that started a huge process of like, I needed to find me and I needed to figure out who I was and to love me um, and that was a journey too. And it took a while, but at least I had a few years before filing to get a little sturdy in what did I want? What did I deserve in a partner? I was like, I deserve somebody who wants to hang out with me on the holidays. So you not wanting to hang out with me on 4th of July, that's a problem. Like, don't need to wait for you anymore. So, yeah. I mean, it sounds like, like many women, just because of our socialization, yeah. Sounds like your identity was wrapped up in the the relationship. Like you were, mm-hmm. you had defined your life, your destiny, your path, your calling by the relationship. Hundred percent. I mean, even as a kid, I used to dream about like, okay, I'm going to have these five careers, right? Like I was going to be like a doctor and a veterinarian, and then I was going to own a ranch, but then I was also going to be a mom. But, you know, but so, but one of the things that was always the same is I always wanted to have kids and I always wanted to have pets. And so I was so wrapped up in that is what makes a happy life. And then when I started to have them, I was that Pinterest mom, like, good Lord, I was crafting every single weekend. I remember making when the command centers were all the rage and you put, you know, crafted yourself into like, here's the weekly menu and here's the schedule for the week. And it hangs on the wall in the kitchen. And I was so excited to do all this stuff and to do all this development um, with my son. And I was moving so fast. I didn't realize that while, yes, I loved it. There's another whole part of me that I had buried that that I wasn't letting out because I didn't think I was supposed to still want those things and I didn't have room for those things in my in my marriage and in my partnership. Yeah, 100%. Oh my goodness, that's so profound. Like that's just I love it just just to acknowledge your ability to just articulate that experience is amazing. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, it was 
was very painful. You guys, I can't tell you how many times it was. I mean, I didn't sleep. I didn't eat. I lost 30 pounds in 30 days because any, I'd eat half an apple and I'd get nauseous. Like I had never been so incredibly stressed and depressed. And for years, I never slept through the night. Um, and all of my adrenals were shot. My physical health was shot. My hair was falling out in handfuls. Like it was hard. And every single source continued to send me back to, you cannot control his behaviors, but you can find yours. You can find your happiness. What do you need? What do you want? What do you need to define in your life? Amazing. Amazing. Um, after, you know, the divorce, when you went through all that and it was all over, like at that point where you're like, okay, we've signed on the dotted line. I have my own place, all of that. What were your thoughts around about that time about a new partner? Yeah. So that's a funny story. Um, <laughs> so I filed, right? Like we wrote our divorce together. We hired one lawyer. We split the cost. Like it was very, like, it was very clear that I didn't want either party to be hurt in this. We had a beautiful chapter. The chapter was over. I had high hopes to be amazing co-parents and best family friends, just a big extended family. And that's not the reality today, but that's a story for a different day. Um, but after I filed, the reality hit and I wasn't expecting that. And I got really depressed. I couldn't even get up off the couch to feed my kid. Like I was telling my four-year-old to just grab a box of cereal and just eat on that. Um, I remember calling one of my local friends and I was like, I, I'm not okay. Yeah. And I'm going to not be okay right now. Um, and I asked her to come over and feed my son because I just needed to cry. So even though I wanted it, it still hurt and it still just sucked to be like, this is the new reality. And <laughs> I knew very clearly, again, me setting my own path, this was going to be a one-year thing. I ended up, um, I had been living in the house, the marriage house. I'd been the one paying the mortgage since we bought it. So I stayed for about another six months until the deadline was when we had to sell it. And I ended up buying a townhouse. And so I downsized because I didn't, I couldn't do the yard work anymore in the snow removal here in the Midwest. And so I wanted a townhouse just the right size and moved in. Everything is, you know, great hunky dory on that. And I told myself, this is my house for one year. In one year, I will find a new partner. I will, because I was deep into manifesting. The magic was showing up left and right. And I was like, I'm just going to get myself back on my path. Mm -hmm. And that's the wrong belief system, but it's what we all do, right? I was never off my path. It was always part of the journey. But I had decided that I was going to like manifest right back in the perfect partner, have my second baby, get back on the road that I thought was leading to the path of happiness. And so I probably started dating a few months later, but the intention was when I turned on the app was just to have fun. I was like, I just, I've never really explored the city. I want to explore the cities. I want to check out all the things that I've always said no to. I just want to have fun. And that is the partner that I manifested in. He just wanted to have fun. He had zero desire to be in a relationship, <laughs> but he did want a best friend to travel with, right? So we traveled and we hiked mountains and we snowboarded and we did all these things that I had always wondered, but I didn't have the confidence to lead and I could follow him. He would lead me there and it was a lot of fun, but I tried to make it a relationship. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't what he wanted. And I think something that's so common for women after divorce is we like fall head over heels for the first one that shows up after divorce. And I did. 
I, we were together for a year when, you know, literally we maybe had sex for the first two months out of that 12 and the rest of it was just like a besties hanging out and traveling. But like, I was always hoping, oh, he's dealing with some PTSD. He's dealing with some whatever, like he's got stuff's not working all the excuses. Like, could I live without this for all the other things that I'm getting? Mm-hmm. Um, I probably spent another year grieving the loss of that dream, not of that partner, because I had create, I had launched all these beautiful dreams and rockets of how cool my life could be when it is not a white picket fence with three kids and two dogs. Um, yeah. and so it was again, hard to let that go and to move on. Um, you know, turn the dating app off, turn the dating app back on like a year later, want to yeah. just a fun buddy <laughs> manifested in a fun buddy. And I was like, how come I don't feel anything for this dude? Like, is something wrong with me? And I was like, no, you literally, your intention was just a fun buddy. And that's what you got an exclusive fun buddy. And then called it quits again, turned it off, went to turn it back on COVID hits. I was like, well played universe. I guess I'm not ready. <laughs> turn it back off. I'm solo again. Um, but it really like finding my way COVID was another beautiful year when everybody else said it sucked. I'm like, this was like the best, one of the best years I had for, for finding me. Um, and then finally turned it back on and met somebody in the fall of 21, which is where we're still at. So we've been two years now, um, learning how to be in partnership. Yeah. That's amazing. Did you ever have that period where it's like, oh, I can't, cause it's, it sounds to me like you knew that you weren't too broken for a relationship. You didn't have that period where it's like, I I could never be in a relationship I, again. I didn't. I always wanted to be in relationship again. So that was very, very clear for me. Like I wanted partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I realized that I wasn't very good at dating. You know, I wasn't very good at clarifying my needs. I wasn't very good at all the things that a good relationship actually takes. And that's what took me. Cause you know, like I, divorce was final in 17 again, until I met this partner in 21, that was a lot of testing and learning and a lot of disappointment, like high hopes, nothing, high hopes, nothing. Um, but it really came back to, I wasn't in a place to truly stand in me or give up me again for a relationship. I mean, I just love it because you knew you had growth, but you Mm -hmm. didn't see it as you're broken. Cause what I encounter with a lot of women and I help them walk through it is there's this shame blame thing going on. So if they are dating and it's not working, they're either shaming themselves or they are blaming the world. <laughs> yes. I did. Where it's that. like all the men out there and all the men on the ass, and they're terrible and all of that. Yep. Or I'm broken. There's something wrong with me. Versus, oh, I just don't know how to do this. I just need to grow. I just need to practice this skill. I just need to try again and do this part yep. a little bit better. Yeah. I think mine aired on the I thought nobody would ever want me again. You know, like I failed. I screwed up a marriage because the the other thing too is like so the my ex um was cheating with somebody 15 years younger than we were. 
this is like quite a bit younger, you know, somebody who didn't have kids, who didn't have a post-kid body, who, you know, had a high metabolism still, who had long blonde hair, like all the stereotypical things. So as a woman who was in her mid thirties, who was at her heaviest weight, who had a kid and didn't feel confident in her body anymore, it really hit my worthiness, uh, worthiness. And then when they moved instantly into a relationship after he told me he just wanted to be alone, that hit my like, I must've just been really bad at it. I must've just been really, really bad to be in relationship with. And so then when you're dating and everybody else is the one who's calling it quits and I'm sitting there doing the like, Ooh, can I, can I settle for this? Can Mm -hmm. I write myself into a story of what their passions are and what their life is? Right. And then it would fall away and fall away. And that's where it, it became that like, you know, I just want to have fun for me. And I I'm loving how life is unfolding for me. And thank God we shut down for COVID or I probably would have had a couple more mistakes in there too. Um, but, but knowing that like, once I figured out that, that it wasn't just me that failed in the marriage, that, that there were opportunities on both sides. Did I do everything perfect? Hell no. <laughs> I was not happy to be around. Let me tell you, my fear, my controlling, my corporate mindset, like I was driving the team, right? Um, and I own that. And and then I swung a little bit in the other direction of being too nice, being too understanding, right? Until you swing back and you find the balance that's right for you. Yeah, amazing. So what app did you meet? your partner on current partner. Um, this one was hinge. Yeah. So, and I played around like the other thing I'll say, I was very, very intentional with how I use dating apps because I was tired of like the people in the office being like, there's no good men yet. And da, 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 da. And I, I really believe in the power of manifesting. You're just a magnet. You're just going to draw in what you're focused on. And if that's what you're focused on, that's what you're going to get. And so I made sure I set parameters around using an app um, that I only allowed myself so many swipes a day. And the moment that it wasn't fun, the moment it started to feel like I will never find anybody. Oh my God, there's nobody in this app. I had to put it down and I had to walk away and I had to go back to finding happiness in myself. I also made sure that I always set a very clear intention of why I was turning the app back on. What was I looking to find in this round of being back in the app? Um, so, cause I, you know, Tinder was not real great in the twin cities. <laughs> I did use it a bit when I traveled, but that never like manifested into anything, but it was funny to see the different types of profiles across different apps used Bumble on and off. But I also have found that I don't like to go back to something, you know, you're constantly evolving. I even think about like right now I'm switching up my gym regimen again, because I went back to a program and it felt really good at first, but then I I found the same reasons that I left in the first place. So the same thing is true with dating apps. You know, I'd go back in a bumble and I'd see a lot of the same faces. And I was like, you know what, there's this new one. Let's try hinge. So mm-hmm. met the current partner on hinge, had lots of voice conversations back and forth before um, finally meeting. and. Yeah, it was funny because he was way outside of my parameters. So I don't know why the universe threw him in my little thing. Either I guess I was so picky, there was nobody left, or <laughs> somewhere. Was it like, when you say parameters, like distance, like how far? Yeah, he yeah. Because I I tried to stay within like thirty minutes of my house because more than that, it's just like it's just not fun driving in the cities. And so like I didn't want to mess with any of that. And he is 
45 minutes, almost 60 minutes. He's actually across the border. <laughs> so I, I drive all the way through the cities over the bridge, right through the woods yeah. to grandmother's house. No. Um, so that's why we laugh. Cause I'm like, literally the week before I had turned somebody down because I learned that they lived over that way. Like, I literally was like, wait, where do you, where do you work? Oh, that's really far. Let's, let's skip it. And like, I just was like, goodbye. And then started talking to him, had no idea. He loves this story. I had no idea where he lived. When I finally figured out where he lived, I tried to get out of that date too. I, he's like, you tried so hard. And he's like, I was not going to let you get out of this date. He's like, we're, we were at least going to meet and we met for coffee, right? The typical, like meet for mid-morning coffee. If it works, you roll into lunch. If it doesn't work, you excuse yourself and you go home. So we met for coffee in between, but yeah, I was like, oh, it's really far. I totally understand if that's, you know, you don't want to drive that far. Oh, I totally under Like, mm, is this just too hard to find a place? Like, I totally understand. And he was like, no, this is going to happen. So oh, love it. Yeah. I love it. That, this yours is the second story. I don't know if you know Alex and Leila Hormozy. The, they're entrepreneurs. They own a billion dollar company or something like that. Anyway, their Sounds story familiar, is kind of yeah. the same. She tried to get out of the, she tried to get out of the date and he was like, no. Yeah, <laughs> I tried. Me. I tried so hard and he laughs. And like, we just hit, it was actually just last week was the two year anniversary of the first date. Um, and so it was just super funny because it's all the little, all the little things, the conversations, the open communication, how different it is, but it is so much, it's like so much more rewarding and so much harder doing it on round two, because now there's kids involved on both sides. There's exes involved on both sides. There's multiple cities between where everybody lives. Like you can't just relocate right now. You're relocating four jobs. Now you're relocating between us. There are four kids. Um, so it's just a slower path on bringing things together. And what that takes is a lot more communication because obviously my, my past of being misled, my past of being lied to all of those things, uh, subconsciously drive me to need a sense of security faster. Yeah. How am I going to know you're never going to leave? Mm. But you, that that's not his job. <laughs> that's a right. sense of security I need to give myself. If you leave, I will still be okay. Will yeah. I be sad? Yeah, I will be sad, but I will be okay. Like it, it will never be something that I am afraid of. I will never lose myself again for fear that somebody's going to leave me. Yeah, and you know, and all relationships end. Either it's a breakup or a death or something. It's like it's guaranteed. No relationship lasts forever except the relationship you have with yourself. Yeah. That's the one we neglect the most, which is why we have this hole that we're trying to fill. It's because we're neglecting to nurture ourselves and to appreciate ourselves and to love on ourselves and to heal ourselves from whatever may have happened in the past. And then we're hoping that someone who's trying to do the same thing for themselves or neglecting themselves is somehow going to do it for us. Yeah. And I think that's why so often in like almost any physical practice, like working out, meditating, yoga, whatever I'm doing, I actually really like to close my eyes Mm. because we're so often seeking external approval. What do I look like in the mirror? That's external approval, right? Closing your eyes and going inside and being like, how do I feel right now? Mm. Oh, okay. So filling that hole, it, you first have to get in touch with it. And I so wasn't in touch with it. I was so very busy and looking outside and can somebody else help me feel better and feel like home? 
And home is an inward job. It's an inside job that you've got to find on your own to then be able to share it with somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. So true. So when you, like, when did you know he was the one? Like, were you like more interested? I know you're like, this is, this is, we just want to hear, we just want to hear all the all the The details. (laughs) When you swiped on him and you guys started talking back and forth, like, was there an inkling to you that he was like different? Well, I'm really, no. So here was the thing. And it really messed with me. And I will tell you, like, part of me is like, it probably still messes with me. One of the things that I found so different now, and let me back up to like, right before we met, because we met in November. In July, I manifested the severance package that I had been working on for two years. I had been lining up to leave this company. Um, In fact, as of August, I was going to give my notice. July 15th, I got the call and it was like, hallelujah, I did it because it was the money I needed to be able to leave and start my business and still take care of my son. And so it was a beautiful parting. It's my second divorce, right? Me and my company, (laughs) that, that it was 20 years of my life that I had to, it's who I learned, who I was, all those things. Great. That happens in July. In September, August, September, I had already signed up for a week-long retreat in Hawaii. And my whole point was to just get super present and find me. So mm-hmm. now I'm like, oh, manifesting just totally showed up for real. I'm lined up. I manifested. Then I went on retreat and even more. Like people are stopping me down the street. Like, what can we do for you? Like I was lit up. Mm-hmm. Um, then I went on to shoot my first brand photo shoot in Colorado, which is my like magic state. That's where I go to, to go deep and to heal. And then I met him. Hmm. And so when I met him, I was so fully lined up. Like I sat there and I was like, I D G A F about whatever. I love me. I'm happy with me. I actually had already turned the app off before we had met. Like I was, I was literally closing out this last conversation because I didn't want to deal with it anymore. Like I just was so freaking happy. I didn't have time to contemplate whether or not somebody was the right fit or to waste my time. And so we meet and I'm so lined up and so happy that I'm sitting across from him. I'm like, he's a great guy. I really enjoy talking to him, but he can stay or he can go. I don't care. I'm good on my own. And it messed with me for so long because I was like, shouldn't I know? Shouldn't I have the big zing? Shouldn't I see fireworks? Shouldn't I know without a doubt that this is a thing that I never, ever want to leave? And I didn't experience that. What I experienced was a super grounded, safe space to say, I want to talk to him again tomorrow. In in all of the... um you know, I, I'm still, I still have issues with it. I don't ever really want to make an outright statement that something is forever again, because I fought so hard for the marriage that didn't and knowing now that I don't, I don't wish any of that changed. Um, but it made me hesitant. The trauma of it made me hesitant to ever say, I found the one that is forever going to be there because people change. And so it started with, you know, I really like talking him today. I want to talk to him again tomorrow. Okay, Erica, do you want to talk to him next week? And when we first started dating, that felt too far in the future. And I was like, I can't, I can't. Okay, but tomorrow I do. And when you build a relationship, right? It's one day, one conversation at a time. It's not saying, yes, we are going to be here in five years because we don't know who we're going to be in five years. And so day by day, week by week, all of a sudden we're at six months, all of a sudden we're at one year. And I'm like, what is going on? And that conversation is about the merging of the path, right? That 
it created something far deeper and more solid than any sort of magical zing, which is really just anxiety. I remember when my ex-husband proposed, I I thought I was going to throw up and I honestly felt like I was, I said yes, because you're supposed to say yes when the person you're with proposes. It was a thing I had wanted for, for two years. And I remember saying yes and being scared to death that I just made the wrong choice. Yeah. And so this new relationship shows up and it's so steady and grounded and fun and pushes me and delivers on things that I never thought I was going to be looking at. Right. And the basis of it is, and we both talk about this, that it can stay or it can go. And if it goes, I will be sad, but it will not be the end of my story that it taught me something while it was here. And that really, that really, the UPS came and the dog was going to (laughs) bark. Sorry. (laughs) Edit that little piece out. Um, Yeah. So I think, you know, without all the sparks and without all the whatever else, why do I know? Not, not why do I know? Cause I will not say that. Why do I hope that this is the one that lasts Mm. because the openness of the communication and, and how truly seen I feel Mm -hmm. is like nothing I've ever experienced before. And it's created because I'm choosing to fully show up as me and he's willing to stand in it with me. So when I'm having a rough day and I'm angry or irritable or feisty or sad, or I'm having anxiety or I'm ugly crying on the floor, he doesn't run, but he doesn't do the work to fix me. I do the work to fix me, but he creates that safe space, which is what I had always asked for. Like I'll pick myself up. But sometimes I just need somebody to hold the walls up to give me the space to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And I love how you said that the the spark wasn't necessarily there. I mean, this is a question that I answer for my clients all the time. And they're like, well, I didn't feel any spark. And I was like, okay, so what? Right? Because we establish what a safe relationship looks like. We establish what a healthy relationship looks like. We establish something that's stimulating and interesting, all of the things that we do at the beginning. And so that you meet this person that meets everything and you feel nourished and you feel satisfied and you want to see them the next day, but then it's like, but I didn't feel a spark. I'm like, okay, let's define spark for mm-hmm. you. Right. Because we're taught that being in love is the spark. Mm-hmm. And, and so I had to do the work too, that I I went through a phase and I was like, do I love him? I don't feel a spark. Do I love him? And then I would watch him work with his kids. I'd watch him make dinner. I'd watch like something as silly as like his shoulders or his forearms. And I would feel that feeling, not the spark, not the fireworks, but this like deep warmth that I was like, you really do love this man for who he is. You love watching him show up in his life um, to the best of his ability. And that was a rewiring process because we're taught to believe a spark is the the tingles and the you know butterflies in the stomach and like the big all over explosion. Yeah. And now having seen both, right? The obsessed stalking my then neighbor turned into husband to being able to consciously choose, I love this man for who he is, not what he does for me. Yeah. And I want us both 
to bring that best aspect of ourselves into the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I love that. And then also just speaking to, because I've I've had this conversation so often, Mm -hmm. people will then say, well, then I'm, I'm with this guy and I'm not attracted to him at all. (laughs) And then, and so I feel like I have to, something's wrong with me because I'm not attracted to him. Yeah. but I don't want to chase the spark. So I'm staying with this person that I don't like. I'm like, well, but that's not the point either. That that was like the the guy number two, the one that lasted six months where I was like, I just want someone fun. You know, mm-hmm. I just wanted sex. Let's be honest. I just was like, sorry if I offend you listeners, but I just, I needed a physical aspect to a relationship and my heart wasn't ready to love. And so I was like, wow, he's a great guy. He's coming over and making dinner with me. He's hanging out at my house. He's taking me out. Why don't I feel anything? Mm. And it has nothing to do with them not being a great guy. It just wasn't the right fit for me. And could I have stayed and played it safe? Yes, because I could have written it off as he is doing all the things. But when there isn't enough of the polarity of the pull, Mm -hmm. right? And that comes from a respect of the other person being in their power and a little bit of a frustration of that person, like how we rub against each other, right? How you fight absolutely correlates (laughs) to the bedroom aspects of your relationship because it's the communication, it's the energy passing, it's the how you're you're repairing things. Um, So staying in something just because somebody does all the right things there's there's a space in between. So we got the Disney fireworks and then we got the safe, secure, almost like an arranged loveless marriage. Yeah. Find the space in the middle. Find the space where you're like, this feels safe, which by the way, feels very boring for a lot of us, especially if we've been raised to love the intensity of a challenge. I love a challenge. I love fixing a problem. So it felt very boring a lot of days. But then when I could look at like, but how do you really feel about him? Take away all the other conditions. And when you just look at this person in the most simplest moments of everyday life, how do you feel? Yeah, that's so good. So, so good. So um, as we wrap up, because unfortunately, I could keep asking you questions like all day. <laughs> I'll just come back. We'll do it again. I love this stuff. Yeah. It's so fun. Come back. Um did you have a moment, I'm going to ask two questions because I think, did you have a moment where you switched from, oh, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes to, I'm ready to go just a bit deeper and stay a little bit longer where you weren't checking, where you weren't evaluating every day. Yeah. Right. Um, yes. So it gradually, one of the things I realized is that, I, you know, when you project into the future, you create anxiety, you create worry. And so being present in the moment, you know, is the one way to avoid that because nobody can predict the future. But what started to happen is little things like, I really wish that we were in one home. Mm. And in the beginning, um, even up to like, I'll say something, it was something that shifted only this summer. So we're talking a year and a half in prior to that Sundays, I'd roll back into my house and I'd have my space and my couch and my TV, right. Which is very different than his house, which he built for him and me mine, which by the way, his house is now full of crystals and plants. And he complains about it every single day, but <laughs> it's like little by little Erica, you just keep expanding in my house. Um, <laughs> But I always loved coming home to my own space. And then I loved sharing his space with him, but I needed my own. Mm. And this summer, something shifted into like, I just was a little sad on the day that I came home. 
And so I knew something was moving. And we had talked about future living together, what that would look like, you know, with four boys and our jobs and where, where do we want to locate? So this has been a long conversation for a year, but every time we brought it up, um, it would feel stressful than enjoyable. And so we, again, you're walking through a conversation like, Hey, are we in alignment that we hope that one day we both live in the same house? Yeah. Okay. We're in, we can feel like that feels good, but like looking at a house doesn't feel good yet. Okay. We, we know we're pointed in the same direction, but those two paths are not overlapping yet. And little by little, those things would start to change, right? We'd kind of look at different houses and talk about like, do we want to start dreaming up what we want in a house? Because that seems like the natural next step. But then when push comes to shove, pulling my son out of his school district, selling the house that I'm in, that felt really tight, really anxious in my chest. And I was like, I'm not ready to do that. But every time the conversation would come up, I would just look at it again and be like, okay, where am I at in being lined up to being ready to make that move? Yes, I want one place. Yes, I want to stop managing two houses, but ooh, I'm not ready to move the school district or I don't know what city we need to live in yet. And now as those pieces are coming close, like in fact, just the other week, this like weird random opportunity has showed up and we're waiting to hear back on it because We had let go of the need that it needed to happen now and knew that we could continue to maintain the two houses we have and be very happy. And if the opportunity were to present itself, we would be ready to make a move. Um, So I think it's, it's those steps, especially when your heart has been broken, as big as a divorce is, that you might never be in a place where you can say, this is a thing I want forever. So then break it down and be like, what would, what would happen next? You know, I feel like it'd be good to live in the same house. Um, Okay. Am I ready to move my child from a school district? If it was me, I'd already be there. Right. But am I ready to move my child and ask him to make new friends? Um, We talked about from the very beginning that we have zero desire to ever legally get married again, but we both want a long-term partnership. Like the legal aspects of marriage just cost us both money. (laughs) It didn't give us anything. Um, So, but we want a partnership. Okay. So what does that look like? Little by little having those conversations um, and feeling like what feels good and what doesn't with, again, the the big general hazy future is like, yeah, we want this to work. And we're going to take steps along the way to make sure we do it in a manner that we're both ready for. Um, and it's not too fast. Oh, that's so good. So good. <laughs> I mean, like, I love that, just that pacing. Yeah. Like, we don't have to have it all now. We can just enjoy what we have now and only think about just the very next step. So that's so good. Yeah. And it was hard, you guys, like, because my subconscious wanted to be like, oh, if you're not living together, maybe he's not serious. Mm-hmm. Oh, if you're not getting married, how do you know he's not just going to leave, right? It mm-hmm. it plays all those tricks to try and protect you. Your mind will create a ton of stories again, it had to come back to the communication. So I had to be like, Hey, I'm feeling like we didn't get our normal ways to connect this weekend. We weren't able to hang out. You were traveling with your brother. We weren't talking on the phone. Like we normally do. I'm feeling a disconnect and it's making me have some anxiety and I'm going to take care of it. But I want you to know so that we can have some open communication. Right. And when those moments hit, I would do a lot of self-reflection. Well, why are you worried two days ago You were over the moon in love, super happy with how things were going. And now today you're desperate for reassurance that he still loves you. Mm. It's been 48 hours. The man did not fall out of love with you in 48 hours, right? 
doing the work for myself. Oh, well, because normally the next step would be to propose. That would show that you want a commitment, right? Or now we're getting married or now we're having a kid or now we're buying a house together. These are cultural steps we've created to say, that's how you know somebody wants to be with you. Well, guarantee you guys all did those in your marriage and the marriage didn't stay committed. (laughs) So somebody made those up. Somebody made those up. (laughs) Somebody made them up. So figure out a new one that works for you. If I know we're never getting married, what do I need to know that he's committed? I want to hear how we're planning for us, not how he's planning for his family and I'm planning for my family. I want to hear about what he sees for the future on how things work for us, not just what he's going to do, right? It's the it's the dreaming up of the plans together, not necessarily the moving things forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll be very interesting to see how it rolls out because so often we try to move a condition into a reality as a security blanket. But that condition comes with a lot more, right? Buying a house together means now we got to manage space together and we got to manage bills together. And there's a whole new level of things that have to be communicated. Um, And, you know, for kids, there's a lot of bedrooms, (laughs) for kids and a home office, like, what are we doing? Um, So yeah, you know, just ask yourself, what would make me feel secure? Because it probably is not the checklist that you had for your first partnership or marriage. Right. And if, and if other people weren't quote unquote doing those things, is that what I would choose for myself as my next step as well? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting that the tricks are mind plays, but it really just takes us asking ourselves, like, why do you want that thing? You know, Mm -hmm. why do you want to have another baby? Why do you want to move in together? Oh, well then it means he won't leave. Did it? (laughs) Is that a great reason? Do you like that? I was like, "Mm, it's a big commitment. Yeah. It doesn't guarantee he doesn't leave like kind of all those things, but, um, one, one step at a time. And then each time it feels a little bit, a little bit better. You know, now we're planning holidays together. That's a new first. We've always gone somewhere else. Somebody else hosts the holiday. Well, this year we're hosting. <laughs> it's going to be so stressful and so fun. And I'm super excited because I haven't hosted since I was married and my family came in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like building those pieces back in without rushing. And it's hard to not rush, but every time I wanted to rush, I had to ask myself, what, what am I trying to get by rushing this? Mm -hmm. And how can I meet that need in a different way to give it some space? Yeah, that's so good. Erica, your story is amazing. Your wisdom. Oh my God. So such great wisdom about walking through this process. Do you have any last words of advice for just, I mean, we have the whole spectrum of women dating after divorce, just anything that you feel like, I just wanted to say this to the listeners today. Mm, Such a good question. I think it's that you truly do create your reality. You always have a choice in things. So if you're out there dating and you're finding that you're just running out of options or every single date is disappointing, stop for a while and take yourself out. Um, Figure out what your own needs are first before you expect somebody else to meet them. Because the reality is, is that they can't and they never will meet your needs as well as you can meet them yourself because you're the one who knows it in the moment. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, as a woman, my needs change all the time. I mean, on Monday, there was something that I really, really wanted my partner to do. And on Tuesday, it was something completely different. (laughs) You know, like that's the nature of being a woman and it's a beautiful thing, but it means that your first job is to figure out how to make yourself happy 
Mm-hmm. And when you figure out how to make yourself happy, take yourself out on dates and treat yourself well and buy yourself the Christmas present that you want, then be ready to share it with somebody. Um, but that's the piece we all like to skip. We like to think somebody else will show up and make me happy. Um, and it just, they can't and they shouldn't. Would you want to be responsible to make somebody else happy every single day? No, it's exhausting. So don't put it on your partner either. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Erica. All right. I know the listeners are going to want to connect with you. They're going to want to listen to your podcast and hang out on the internet. So could you please just remind everyone where they can find the podcast and where they can find you on online? Yeah. So the website is thecrazyxwivesclub.com. On the website, you will find links to the podcast. It's on all of the major podcast streaming. So if you're Apple, if you're Spotify, and then all the other ones, you know, the is it Amazon, Google, iHeartRadio? Who there's a whole, I mean, you guys, there are so many podcast platforms, but it's on all the major ones for you. Make sure that you subscribe so that you get sent all of the new episodes. We run 12 week seasons and then we take a break to let you catch up. So you're going to want to make sure you're subscribed to know when the new seasons start. Um, on the website, you can also learn about the group coaching or the, the group support that's launching um, just around the corner. We run that ongoing throughout the year. And then there's merchandise because what better thing than to broadcast your love for just how crazy you are uh, through, you know, hoodies and tumblers. They're definitely, I swear, every time I wear it to the airport, people will stop me and they'll be like, that's funny. Cause it's like my favorite one says, I'm not crazy. I'm in the club. And then it says the crazy ex-wives club. Oh, podcast. I'm going to get me one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is so, it's so fun. People just look at it and laugh. Um, so merchandise is on there. Group programs are on there. The podcast again, it's the crazy same social handle as well. So TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, give it a listen. I'd love to have you follow along and thank you so much for having me on today. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, so much fun. Absolute pleasure to have you. Hey, listeners, so good to have you guys with us here today. We want to appreciate your time and attention, and we will see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening today. If you are ready to get married after divorce, I want to invite you to download my free eight video training specifically designed to help divorced women date with ease and get married again. Head over to shadecurry.com to get started. That's S-A-D-E-C-U-R-R-Y.com. I'll see you inside.